Thanks to Cabbage for supporting Industry Focus. Get the money you need to run your small business today. Go to cabbage.com to get started. Credit lines subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital are separate installment loans issued by Celtic Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today, it's Tuesday, September the 17th. Um, I'm excited about today's show for consumer goods. I've got Dan Klein joining us from Las Vegas. He is our boots on the ground for what is one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, grocery store consumer packaged goods conferences out there. That's right. We're talking about grocery shop. Uh, Dan, I can only say I didn't even realize this was even a thing until you told me about it several weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I got to be honest. I cover this industry and this is year two of grocery shop. And I've spent most of my time here thinking it was the first year because I'd never heard of it. But what grocery shop is, is it's a convention for everyone in the grocery space from, from major players, Amazon, Target, Walmart, Walmart, Instacart, to mom and pops, to startups, and they're sort of all dealing with the question is of how are we going to get our groceries? How much is that is going to become digital? How much is going to stay brick and mortar? And sort of where's the omni-channel mix? And you're really seeing a lot of solutions to a lot of questions, but we don't really know which ones consumers want yet. Exactly. And just for some perspective, I mean, this is a massive conference, Dan. I was taking a look 33,000 attendees, over 200 speakers, and you mentioned the the long list of those high-end grocery store retailers, some e-commerce, some more of just the big box retailers, but you've also got startups coming as well, startups hoping to bring in some of that innovation. So really, truly a fascinating space. Yeah, it's big in that important people are here, CEOs and top executives, but it's small in that 3,000 is is a pretty manageable amount. If you want to speak to someone other than maybe the big keynotes, you can talk to them. So you're seeing a real exchange of ideas. And the challenge isn't for the biggest players. Amazon, Walmart, Target can all kind of try everything and see what works. But if you're a smaller chain, even if you're a Publix, which is a pretty big chain, you have to decide where you're going to invest your money. Is it cashierless checkouts? Is it delivery? Is it drones? And I don't think anyone knows the answers because the digital part of grocery shopping is still kind of a teeny tiny part of the overall business. Exactly. So, And that's a good segue to just talk more and set the stage for a lot of our listeners who may not be familiar. Um, But can you just talk about where the market stands right now? Yeah. So when you look at the big players, and we'll keep talking Target, Walmart, and Amazon over and over again, Target and Walmart are both using curbside pickup in a lot of markets. That's been a very successful driver for Walmart. You have a story coming out tomorrow that talks about how curbside pickup has actually driven traffic inside their store, that somehow it helps. Uh, Target and Walmart are also both doing same-day delivery. Slightly different models. Walmart's rolling out a subscription service. Uh, Target bought Shipped, which is already in a lot of markets, so Target is leading by a little bit. And Amazon, of course, is pioneering one-day delivery and same-day delivery from its whole food stores, as well as some of its Amazon Prime pantry. So you've really got this push towards immediacy from the big players, and that sort of sets a bar for everyone else. But the reality is everyone else has options. They can partner with, say, an Instagram cart. And the negative of that is there's a cost involved with that. And everyone sort of tries to downplay. Walmart says, well, we charge the same prices in store and online, aside from a delivery fee. But the reality is whether you eat the cost or pass it on to consumers, 
it does cost money to pick these orders. Uh, Instacart mentioned having 100,000 people. Walmart said they had 45,000 people picking orders. So this is not fully automated, and maybe it won't be. So we're sort of figuring out where all of this is and what consumers are going to want. And that's sort of the question hanging over this. Is curbside pickup a real convenience? You still have to go to the store. Is it better to just get it delivered? Or do people really want to put their hands on everything they buy, and they're only going to buy like kitty litter and other heavy water, other big things that are not all that fun to shop for. Such a good point. I mean, when you think about the logistics involved with same-day delivery, I mean, even curbside pickup, I mean, it's still an expensive undertaking, no matter how you look at it. And I think, of course, with the grocery, um, with grocery chains in general, there are many of them already operating on razor-thin margins. So I think for a lot of the smaller players, it does become much more difficult, much more expensive to think about offering similar services that these big names can do. But one thing I want to go back to is on Target. Um, Target, I think, is so interesting in the grocery space. I think compared to some of the other bigger players, Dan, Target has not really carved out, I guess, a name for itself just yet in the grocery space. It's got, you know, the grocery section, but there's not necessarily like a brand or anything that really allures me there, other than the fact that I just happen to be in the store for, you know, a pair of shoes for my daughter and I realize I need to pick up something. But that's changing, right? That, that is changing. So a story that's on Fool.com today uh, is, and I'm forgetting the woman's name, but the president of, of food and beverage for Target uh, was one of the keynotes. And she talked about how exactly that. Target was a place that had groceries, but they didn't have a Target approach to groceries. So her, the headline of her speech and of my article is how Target is planning to bring the Target magic into grocery. And what they're doing is they're, they're launching a company-owned brand that – sort of pulls together a whole bunch of other brands they have and has a quality standard and sort of puts in, they're looking at their shelves and saying, okay, this is why people like shopping at us for other things. How do we do that in grocery? How do we make it more distinctive? And I'll say that just the store redesigns we've talked about on the show before, there is a completely redesigned uh, Target near my my second home in Davenport. That sounds better than it is. Uh, Davenport, Florida, near Disney World. And that Target is optimized. You walk in and the things you need right away are right up front because it's a vacation area. There's a lot of grab-and-go vacation stuff. Uh, the, the wine section is amazing. The liquor store. All of the produce looks good. Everything is sort of targetized in a nicer way. And that's where the whole brand is going, to sort of put a distinct Target feel on grocery. And they're not there, but they clearly have a strategy for it. Yeah, so a lot to watch there. But going back to the conference as a whole, Dan, I guess, what would you say, just from a high level, is the overarching theme of this conference? Well, there's two things. It's one, I would say, the democratization of technology. And and what I mean by that is you remember when a few years ago it was a completely unique thing that Starbucks had mobile order and pay. And now there's white label mobile order and pay. And if you and I open a coffee shop tomorrow, that could be an option we could integrate and we could use Square Payment and we could essentially have most of what Starbucks has without investing the money Starbucks put in. Well, there's companies here offering things like like cashier-free checkout. Now, when Amazon first launched that at Amazon Go, it was a 1,000 stories. It was, oh my God, you can just walk in and it knows what you're buying and it charges your credit card. Well, that's something a local convenience store can offer. But the biggest challenge with all 
of that is if I'm a local convenience store, is that where I put my money? Is it delivery? Is it some sort of next generation driverless technology to deliver orders? Is it high-end coffee? We don't know the answer. And that's sort of what everyone is talking about is as we're making investments, what should it be? And yep, I can automate my whole back end. I, I saw this technology at a, a show put on by the same people, Shop Talk, earlier this year. And at Shop Talk, what we looked at was a 10,000 square foot unit that could automate picking of a lot of these orders, get rid of some of the human part. And that's being used by some grocery chains. Now, is that where it makes sense for them to invest their money or should they be automating delivery or do they have to do both? So there's really sort of an open question and that sort of boogeyman of, of getting rid of people from some of this, which takes out cost in the long run, not in the short term, that's kind of hanging over everything and nobody really talks about it that much. Yeah, so big investments being made in the space. And we're going to dive into that in a little bit more in just a few moments. But first, a quick word from our friends at Cabbage. Managing inventory, covering payroll, and doing a hundred other things before lunch is just an average day when you own a small business. Your time is valuable, and getting the money you need shouldn't take up all of it. That's why Cabbage created a simple, modern way for businesses to access up to $250,000 of credit. Cabbage's application process is online and takes just a few minutes to complete and get a decision. And if your business qualifies, you can access the amount you need right away and withdraw more funds whenever you need extra capital. Cabbage has A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and has provided over 200,000 small businesses with access to funding. As someone who's watched a close family member build a business from the ground up, I can attest having access to funds to even start, let alone scale, is one of the biggest hurdles a small business owner can face. But you can get the money you need to run a small business today. Go to cabbage.com to get started. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com. Credit line subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital are separate installment loans issued by Celtic Bank member FDIC. All right, and we're back. So we talked a little bit about a lot of the infrastructure um, and really the investment needs to really, I think, take the grocery store model to the next level. Dan, um, from this conference, what do you think, I guess, is the biggest problem or even just opportunity a lot of these grocery chains are investing in right now? It's really figuring out your infrastructure and supply chain. So we've moved from a model where you were bringing in pallets of stuff, putting it in a storage room, and then moving it to shelves in pretty big numbers. Now, alongside that, you have to have an operation that does picking for individual orders. And in some cases, those orders are going two different ways. One of the things Walmart talked about is the person picking an order does not know if it's for curbside pickup or for or for delivery. So you have to sort of figure that out, system, put in a system, and really know what you're going to need. And that's a really high-end inventory thing because there's a lot more choice for consumers. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be happy if they don't have the exact kind of almond milk I buy or whatever other very specific thing it is. So companies that operated on a very gross level are now having to operate on a very, very fine level. Yes, and almond milk is important. I <laughs> stock at least 
two cartons in my refrigerator at all times. I think another area too, Dan, I mean, just think about fresh produce. That's one area, even as I've tried some of these, you know, um, curbside pickup and even same day delivery, that's just one area where I still want to go into a store and literally go and look at the produce or even meat and then actually pick it up and pay for it. I mean, do you see that being, I guess, even broached in a conference like this? So, so Walmart talked a lot about uh, dur- during their keynote, sort of training people to pick stuff. And I will say, I use Instacart, I've used Amazon service, and I find some things a little bit difficult. Sometimes you order something like, I want a pound and a half of salmon. And I don't know, maybe the piece of salmon you get, it's really thick on one end and really thin on the other, and it's hard to cook. It's not what you would have picked. The other thing I've had real problems with is samples. And I, I think I've told you this story personally, but I ordered gluten-free rotini, and they were out of it. And now Instacart actually has technology to pick sample, uh, to pick replacements. But this didn't exist a few months ago. And they went, "Oh, we're out of gluten-free rotini. Okay, I'll make the substitution. I'll get regular rotini, which of course is a terrible substitution. And they would have been better off getting a different pasta shape. So you're seeing technology fix some of that. But yeah, they can't really figure out if you're going to want, you know, an orange that's a little more orange or a little less orange or exactly what it is or what you want your raw chicken breast to look like. Those are things that I'm not sure we're there yet as far as the technology goes. And also, I guess, with any conference, especially as an investor, one of the things you always want to keep an ear out for is, you know, what's the buzzword that keeps on coming up the most? No different here with Grocery Shop. Dan, what is that one word with this conference? Oh, it's it's data. I mean, the, the one thing you know as a grocery chain is what people are buying, when they're buying it, how they're buying it. And what they're analyzing is, are quantities changing for home delivery? Are Is curbside pickup different than in-store? And they are absolutely crunching it so they can figure out what goes in the shelf, what stays in the back, what don't we need anymore? Can we cut out certain SKUs? Do we need to stock more? So really, everybody talked about data and, and AI and different types of learning all driven by the information they have collected. Yeah, and I think it's one thing, because you hear a lot of companies, even outside of the space, talk about um, the importance of data. And sometimes they'll even try to put a dollar figure on that. But it's one thing to have access to data. It's a whole other thing to actually utilize it in a way that gives you some sort of advantage um, and just makes you better than the competition. And, uh, of course, we're in the information age right now. And so information can be a competitive advantage if you're using it in a way to adapt faster. Um, when I, I happened to see the um, some of the startups that were at this conference, there was one that was kind of intriguing to me. But basically, after you make that purchase decision, they'll actually start tracking how often you use the product when you're at home. Dan, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, look, I, I think some technology, there's pushback. If you remember when Amazon used to have the dash button where you could put it next to, say, your washing machine, and when you yes. ran out of Tide, you could push the button and it ordered more? Well, those didn't work. It, it felt invasive or maybe unnecessary for customers. Um, so some of the auto-replenishment, there have been various tools. Uh, Amazon had a wand where when you threw something away, you could run the barcode uh through the wand and it would reorder for you. People have largely pushed back against that stuff. I I like sort of passive refills like 
uh, Dollar Shave Club where every quarter they send me a quarter's worth of razors and I get an email a couple weeks before asking if I want to add to my order. They're not looking like at my shelf to see how many razors I've used. They just roughly know I use one a week and that's a good cadence. So I do think you have to figure out what the line is. There might be some areas uh, let's say pet food, where you totally want them to monitor it because it's heavy and you don't want to run out and you don't want to have to go out in the middle of the night to find your brand. On the other hand, there might be some things where maybe you don't want them to know exactly how many pints of ice cream you've eaten in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, fair point there, Dan. <laughs> um, what do you consider, I guess, right now the biggest challenge facing any grocer that's not named Walmart, Target, or Amazon right now? Where do you put your money? You know, so. You're looking at all these different things. Curbside pickup is an investment. Delivery is an investment. Something we haven't talked about is RFID tags. And that's literally little tiny microchips that let you know where all your inventory is so you can automate ordering and the process. And well, which of those are going to win? And we don't know the answer. So if you're a smaller chain and you bet it all on delivery or make a, a big bet on one of these areas, that could turn out to be something customers don't actually want. And we might see that it's 10-15% of the market for delivery and curbside pickup and that most people are still comfortable going inside and they want to pick most of their stuff and they might pick and choose when they get deliveries. I use delivery all the time but I still go to the grocery store two or three times a week so it's a very fine line if you don't have the sort of endless sums that the big players do. Exactly. It's really about figuring out you know, what is it that you're going into the grocery store for? Um, what is actually appealing to consumers? And then also figuring out what is it that I don't mind just having sent directly to my house? I mean, a lot of questions there. I guess to close us out here, Dan, if there was one thing that surprised you the most from this conference, what would that be? So I'm going to talk about a company that I've been very negative on, not so much because of their product, but because of their valuation beyond meat. So Beyond Meat is a meat substitute. They they have their famous product is a burger. It looks like a burger. It sort of bleeds like a burger. Burger. I can attest because they were cooking them on the show floor. It smells like a burger, but I felt there was sort of a limited market for this in that. They're going to put these kind of things on fast food menus. It's going to be a fad for a while. And then kind of like a lot of places with gluten-free, it's going to fade away. But one of the keynotes was the chairman of the company. And he got up and he talked about – it was his opening example – how in the 1960s when you went to the milk cabinet in a, the, the, the milk section of a grocery store, mostly what they had was whole milk. And certainly the only thing they had was cow milk. And now if you go to the average Whole Foods, not only do you have 2%, 1% percent skim, heavy cream, all different types of milk, you're almost at about 50-50 between cow milk and other forms of milk. So plant-based milks and, and nut-based milks and all sorts of other things. And that's their goal. It isn't so much just to get penetration of people accepting their substitute. It's for their product to be alongside meat and to stop thinking about where the meat comes from. Is this a cow-based meat? Is this a plant-based substitute? And saying, no, it's all meat. It doesn't really matter what the point of origin was. And that's sort of a fundamental change to how these products have been displayed. Uh, and I actually think that's a really smart idea because if I'm searching for burgers and their burger is right there alongside and it's comparably priced, there's a chance I might buy that. To be fair, there's no chance I will buy that. But there's a chance many people will buy that. And he's really looking at changing how we 
think about food, and that's a bigger market than sort of just launching a substitute product. Yeah, that's a, a very good point you make, Dan. And I think anytime I'm looking at an investable opportunity, um, I'm looking for visionary CEOs who really are thought leaders and are thinking, you know, ten years ahead, twenty years ahead, about you know how are we changing, how are uh, consumer preferences and habits changing, and where their company fits in. And I think that's a fair point. I'm like you; I'm not really sold on the Beyond Meat idea. But it sounds like there's a vision that is much grander in scale and hopefully a market opportunity that can support that uh, meat evaluation. And if I get a chance, I'm going to try it on the show floor today. <laughs> Please take a picture and post it on Twitter, Dan. <laughs> Tell me what you think. I, I will do my best. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for us in the industry-focused consumer goods show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Dan Klein, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on.